Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. On this podcast, I am your host, Renee Fox, and I chat to various people who are willing to be open and vulnerable about their own experiences with mental health and sport. Please keep in mind that the things discussed on this podcast are people's own experiences and is not medical advice. If anything in these episodes is triggering for you or you feel like you need assistance, please contact a health professional or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Perfectly Flawed podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Kia Melberton. Kia is a swimmer who competed in her first Olympics in Tokyo 2021. Kia grew up with both life-saving and swimming. Swimming didn't become her first priority until she was around 15. Kia has always loved being in the water, and she has learned a lot along the way in her career so far. Kia opens up about her experiences with body image, comparison and confidence, particularly around pool deck and in the presence of other female swimmers. We also chat about the importance of rest and how much of a learning curve that is and how we are both still trying to navigate through its many challenges, including guilt. Kia speaks about her self-talk, doubt and the pressure she puts on herself and gives an insight to how this presented itself in one of her races. Kia was awesome to chat to and I was able to learn and relate to so many things we discussed. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Perfectly Forward podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. So for those that don't know you, would you like to give a bit of an overview of who you are? Hi guys, my name is Kia Melberton. I'm a long distance swimmer, particularly the 800-1500. I've recently just moved up to St. Peter's Western to train with Dean Boxall and Arnie and the rest of that squad and recently competed at the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo where I finished sixth in both 800 and 1500. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, there's so many things that I want to ask you about in terms of like Tokyo and long distance swimming, but we'll go from the beginning. How did you get into swimming? Um, I was always doing surf life saving. Um, I've been in the pool my whole life. I've always loved the water. I was one of those kids that kind of just got chucked in the pool and have never really gotten out of it. Um, But I definitely did surf life saving until I was maybe 15, 16. And that was my focus. Swimming was kind of on the side. I think I only swam like three or four times a week until I was 13, 14, and then kind of started to take it a bit more seriously and add in a few more sessions. Um, Qualified for my first age nationals when I was 15, 15 or 14, decided not to go, wanted to do Aussies instead. So like was not focused on pool swimming at all. The next year, qualified again in a few more events and it was like, come on, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do swimming or do you want to do surf? Like, you kind of need to start making a decision. Still wanted to do both. I was lucky that year that um, the pool stuff kind of aligned with the surf so we could do both. So I ended up doing both. Um, So I'm really well. And then by the time I was 17, I just, I knew that there might have been a bit more of a career for me in swimming and I decided to focus on swimming. Um, but yeah I've always been one of those kids that's been in the water doing everything but it definitely wasn't something that I took serious until I was probably about 15. Yeah and I mean I think it's so common in swimming because it's such a demanding sport like it requires quite a a lot of training quite intense from really quite a young age what was it like as you said at that sort of 15 sort of age being told you know what do you want to do like that's quite a big decision to make at that age I would think what was that like? Yeah, it, it was a really big decision and I have such a love for surf life saving. Um, anyone that's done surf life saving knows what the culture's like and, you know, you, the training's a bit more fun and it's a bit more social, you know, when you get in the pool, it's just you and the black line and there's a lot less talking and there's a lot less chatting. So it was a very hard conversation. I think I was kind of fortunate though that I wasn't one of those guys that had been flogging themselves since they were 10 years old. And, you know, I wasn't going to age nationals when I was 10 and I wasn't doing 10 sessions a week when I was 10 years old. So I kind of had only like settled into it when I was 15, which a lot of people that I was racing when I was like 13, 14 had already decided to leave the sport because they were sick of it. You know, they'd been doing so much for so many years and I'd kind of had that opportunity to focus on something else and just swim on the side. And then I think when I got to 15, 16, it made it a lot easier to commit to swimming because I wasn't over it and I hadn't had those years of doing like Ks and Ks and Ks and spending all my time at the pool. I was like, no, like I can do something different now. Now is my chance to focus on swimming. But like you said, like it, it is a hard decision. I have lots of friends within the surf life saving community and I don't really want to leave them. But 
I think when you get to around that 17 years age, you know, it's the same kind of thing with swimming. Like people stay in the sport or they don't. And a lot of people that I knew were moving on from surf life saving and just, you know, going to uni and they'd finished school and they wanted to focus on other things. So that kind of helped as well. But yeah, I'm just glad that I had the chance to do something else before I really started focusing on swimming. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think obviously the two sort of work hand in hand to a point and then obviously, you know, depending on where you want to go, you have to sort of stick to one. How did you find then at that younger sort of age balancing the two? Um, Yeah, I think it was, for me, it was just about being in a routine. So I had my days that I did surf training and I had my days that I did pool training and, you know, I, I was nothing special in the pool. I just loved getting in and doing it. You know, I wasn't one of those 12 or 13 year olds that's winning nationals or breaking records or anything like that. So I think that kind of took the pressure off the pool and I knew that the pool complemented my surf training almost perfectly. I had a coach that used to say to me, you know, like swimmers make really good board paddlers, board paddlers don't make good swimmers. So swimming was kind of like the base for all of our surf training. So I was kind of using swimming to help my surf training. So I knew that if I wanted to get everything done, you know, it was just about balancing it. You know, you'd have your days where you go, the lake in the morning and you do a flat water session on the board and then you know you're straight to school and then you're at the pool in the afternoons and surf's quite good you know they're flexible you know they know that we want to do swimming and we want to do running and we have board training and we do like irons on the weekend and stuff like that so I mean it's a lot and like when you're that age like you're still doing something every single morning and every single afternoon but it was nice to have that balance between the two. Yeah and obviously gives a little bit more variety compared to what you know, doing a 1500 or 800 sort of training in a pool is like, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Like? I don't think I've ever been so fit when I was doing that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're yeah. in and out of the water, you're running up and down the beach. Like you have to be so insanely fit to do that. So I think that has probably helped me in the long run anyway. And, you know, I might've been like 13, 14 years old when I was doing it, but probably helped me become more of a distance swimmer, I guess. Yeah, for sure. What was it? Do you think then, obviously you said, you know, that routine and that balance is super important. And, you know, once you sort of establish that, it makes it a lot easier. Do you think that skill is something you've been able to apply sort of later in life and and now as well? Yeah, um, I think like when you get to my age and you're swimming and you're doing uni or, you know, the guys that are swimming and they're still going through high school, your whole life comes down to time management. And I like to sit down at the start of my week and kind of blot out where my sessions are and what I'm going to do. And, you know, I like to keep myself busy. And when I'm at uni, I tend to do like two or three subjects. And, you know, it forces you to keep on top of it because if you don't keep on top of it, you're going to fall way behind. And then it just turns into this big downward spiral where you have to catch up on like weeks worth of uni or weeks worth of school. So being on top of it's super important. And, you know, you feel a lot better for yourself when you're on top of it. But I like to take the time to plan my week out and write down hour to hour what I'm going to be doing. And, you know, when I'm swimming, when I'm going to go to uni, when I'm seeing a physio, when I'm getting massage, like all, like everything. I'm one of those people that likes to just write down everything and has a list for every single day. That's the way I do it. Yeah. I love lists. They're like my best friend. And I have like, yeah. <laughs> even sitting in front of me now, I have like a full plan of like planning out my, <laughs> my week and everything. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Very much I'm the, the same. same. Yeah. I would just sit and write lists for everything. I'm like, I'm leaving for Mackay for a training camp on Sunday. And I've got a list in front of me on the table of like what I need to pack and like what I need to make sure I have in my bag, like ready to go. And like, this is Sunday. I have so much time to do it, but I just like to have my list written now. Oh, it's so helpful. Speaking of balance then, like obviously, as you said, you know, planning is super important and scheduling those things in. Do you, how do you find then, like you say you're super busy and you love being busy. That's sort of like where you thrive. What does rest look like for you then? Do you, is that something that you then schedule in and how do you sort of switch off and disengage from swimming? Because that's something that I've sort of learned through speaking to different people, regardless of the sport, that having that time away and disengaging from it is super important. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it is, it is super important. And I think I like coming off something like Tokyo, you know, we had, we took like eight weeks or something out of the water and you kind of get thrown into like, you know, you need to rest. Like you're not exercising, like just take some time and, it's probably something that I've always struggled with. You know, I'm one of those people that like come Sunday, you know, you're not doing any training. There's nothing scheduled in, but I want to get up and I want to go for a walk or I want to go for a run or I want to do something because I can't sit still. And I constantly need to be reminded that it's okay to rest and it's okay to do nothing. And, you know, there's a lot of like, for me personally, there's a lot of guilt that comes with resting and not doing anything. Like Wednesday, Friday afternoons, we have those sessions off. And I get a bit restless and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Like, I need to be doing something. And 
you know, I think it's something that you need to practice. And if you have people around you like I do that just remind you that, like, no, it's okay to rest. Like, you're just going to run yourself into the ground long term. You need to take these opportunities. You know, your coach has given you these sessions off for a reason. Um, there's a reason behind the rest, you know. But, again, like, I think it's just practicing resting. And for me, it's going away, you know, catching up with a friend or sitting down, reading a book, putting on Netflix, doing something that kind of keeps me distracted but in a restful way. Yeah, I am so much the same. Like, I'm, like, listening to you talk. I'm, like, I have the same issue. Like, I feel so (laughs) guilty for resting. I was even saying it to my coach the other day. I'm, like, I should be doing something. And he's, like, why? I'm, like, because I can't just sit here and do nothing. He's, like, but you're sore. Like, we had a really hard week. Like, you need to take time to rest so that you can perform again. Otherwise, you're going to be annoyed that you're not hitting the times that you want in the next session. Like, you need to take this time to just rest, sit on the couch, put on a movie, and just relax. And I'm, like but I need to do something. Like I feel guilty. Like I'm not being productive. Like I need to like tick things off. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally the exact same. Like I'll be sitting there and I'm, I'm worried that I'm not doing enough in the pool. And then come Wednesday, Friday afternoons, you know, you're just kind of sitting around and you're like, Oh, do I go for a run? Like, do I go to a different pool and do something else? Like, what can I do? That's like something to keep me going. But I think over the years I've learned that rest is super important and more isn't always more. And I think that's something that I've really carried through with me in the past couple of years, you know, sometimes less is more and it's important to take care of yourself. You don't need to run yourself into the ground constantly. Yeah. Um, We'll kind of go a little bit backwards this time because you sort of touched on how after Tokyo you had that eight weeks off. We'll talk about that and then we'll come back to what the Tokyo experience was like. So that eight weeks out of the pool, how did you manage that then? Yeah, look, it was very interesting. Um, I was kind of like, you know, and I like to run and keep myself moving. And, you know, I was just trying to do stuff to keep myself moving, but in more of like a mental health way rather than like a physical health way. Um, But it it was challenging, you know, we came off like this huge competition and then we spent two weeks in quarantine where we could do almost nothing. Um, Your body changes a lot in eight weeks. And, you know, that was something that, that I really struggled to deal with as well. And that was kind of, towards the end of it it was like a driving factor of like why I wanted to get back in the pool and I was like well that shouldn't really be a factor of why you want to get back in the pool you should be wanting to get back in because you love swimming not because you're trying to lose weight or look a certain way and you know it was all these like little things that you know are quite difficult to deal with and you don't really realize what it's like when you come off and you have that big break I think the most time I'd ever spent out of the water before that was maybe two or three weeks so then you get chucked in and it's eight weeks and like that's a really long time And, like, I found myself going back to the pool, like, earlier than I should have, just maybe, like, three, four times a week, just in the mornings, to almost put myself in a routine. Because, like I said before, I hate not having a routine. And if I was getting up at 6 and I was training from 6.30 to 8.30, and then I could come home and then, like, get on with my day. So I like to, like, set up a routine, do something in the morning, and then get on with my day. But it, it was a very interesting period, a period of very, very forced rest, I think. Well, I mean, we all needed it, but... It was just brought brought its own challenges, I guess. Yeah. And I'd love to delve in further into what you said about how your body sort of changes because, I mean, with any sport, your body's sort of on display and it's supposed to look this way. You've got to be strong and lean. And, you know, there's all these sort of terms that get thrown around that as an athlete and how it sort of, you know, should in quotations look like. How did you sort of manage that? And do you think, you know, then going back to swimming, were you sort of conscious being in bathers? Because obviously when you're in bathers, like everything's sort of on show. Yeah. I mean, swimming is a very unique sport in that aspect. You're right. We're in bathers. Like, you know, you can see every single part of your body and coming off eight weeks of not doing anything, not only do you have eight weeks of not doing anything, but before those eight weeks, you were in the best physical shape you've ever been in your whole entire life because you're at the Olympics. Like that's the pinnacle of your sport. Like that's the leanest you've ever been, the strongest you've ever been. Like, you know, you're in your top physical performance and then all of a sudden you have eight weeks off and obviously a lot changes. And it's something that I've always struggled with. I've always struggled with my body image. I've always struggled with confidence. You know, I constantly compare myself to other girls on pool deck and I've spoken to psychologists about it, you know, and like coping mechanisms. And you're right. Like swimming, it's a very unique sport. You're in bathers, you know, you, you can't really hide. And, I think coming back from the Olympics and, you know, I just joined a new squad up at St. Peter's and 
you know, it was nice to talk to the other girls that were there and, you know, everyone's kind of going through the same experience and like, you know, just to sit down and talk with those girls and be like, hey, it's okay. Like, look, we just had eight weeks off. Like we're expected to put on weight. Like that's just how it is, you know, like everyone was in the same kind of boat, which helped, you know, there was no one that was coming back after that break that looked exactly like they did at the Olympics. And, you know, I'm really fortunate. I've never had like a coach or a leader or a mentor or anyone kind of say something negative about my weight. I'm very lucky in that aspect, but personally, like it's something that I've always struggled with and I've just brought it upon myself that I'm one of those people that just likes to compare myself to everyone around me. So when I was in that situation, knowing that other girls were going through the same thing as me was something that really helped. Yeah. And obviously you sort of said that, you know, it's something that's sort of been around for a while. It wasn't new to you sort of post Olympics. What are some of those tips or strategies that you sort of learned to either, you know, sort of dull those thoughts down? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I mentioned before that I'd like spoken to a psychologist about it. And, you know, if you look at someone like I mean I don't want to like name people here but if you look at someone like Emma McKeon who's like the most successful Olympian that Shay's ever had right she has like a very different stature to someone else who's like super successful someone like Ledecky or Simone Manuel who like races the same events though right they have completely different body shapes but like they're both super successful so like just how you look doesn't determine how well you're going to perform and so I would be standing on pool deck kind of comparing myself to other girls that in my event and being like oh like she looks really skinny and she looks really lean and like my psychologist kind of brought it back to but yeah how are you performing like how do you feel upon yourself and taking away from that comparative kind of thing and bringing it back to how you feel about yourself um you know it's also hard with instagram and tiktok and you see all these models that are like stick thin and you know we're athletes we're meant to be strong we're meant to have this big build and you know swimmers we have big shoulders and we have really muscly arms and our back's super muscly and like you know you see that and you're like well why can't I just look like these like skinny girls on TikTok that look really pretty and are doing their little dances or these Instagram models in bikinis like why don't I look like that in a bikini and you know it's like but can they swim an 800 fast can they swim a 1500 fast probably not so it's kind of just bringing it back to that and realizing that you look a certain way because of how you perform And if you're feeling good, regardless of how much you weigh or what your skin folds are or all that kind of stuff, like if you're feeling good and swimming fast, that's all that matters. You know, and there's so many more things that go into your performance than your weight and how you look. You know, you have to feel good to be able to swim fast. I think that's the most important thing to take away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And even touching on what you said about like how Instagram and TikTok and the social media, how you see like all these beautiful women on there. I mean, obviously, you know, you do get quite a wide range of different body types on there. But like from my point of view, like I've seen someone, I'm like, oh, like they look stunning in that. Like I would love to wear something like that. And I try it on. I'm like, that does not fit my shoulders. And it just looks trash. And yeah. then you feel shit about yourself. It's like, well, I have shoulders that allow me to swim. Like it's not do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I go shopping and it's like, well, yeah. that doesn't fit. And then you feel crap. It's like, well, my body type isn't the same as everybody else's. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, I mean, like you said, like, and we're not even like necessarily going out of our way to follow all these like models on Instagram. You know, it's not like I sit there and I follow like a list of girls who are super skinny and post bikini photos, but you click on your explore page and it's, it's all, all you see, you know, it's like, you just get caught interacting with it a few times and then all of a sudden you can't escape it. And you're right, it, it is really hard. But I think for me, it's just bringing it back to how I want to look for my sport and how I need to look to perform. And, you know, I've been doing it for long enough that I know what I need to weigh and how strong I need to be and how I need to look for me to swim at my best. And I think it's just making it more of a like performance aspect rather than like a lifestyle you know you, you we're never like I'm an athlete I'm never going to look like these girls who weigh 45 kilos whose um biceps are as skinny as my wrist like that's just not like it's just not going to happen like I'm an athlete and you know I need to accept that and that's how it is and that's what it is while I'm competing and then if I want to change how I look later on in life like that's a problem for later but Right now I'm an athlete and I'm trying to swim a fast 800 and 1500 and that needs to be the focus. So I need to work on my strength and I need to work on my nutrition and, you know, you need to work on all these little things so that you can perform your best. Yeah. And even further on that, you can look at, you know, 
someone that does shop work to long distance running to swimming to gymnastics and all these various sports like they're the top in their field but you know their body types between each sport look vastly different yeah exactly I don't know if you've ever seen it but there's like a photo that one of the American like news cover things did and it was like a photo of all these different athletes from all the different sports of people that had gone to the Olympics right so you've, you've got like gymnasts standing next to swimmers, standing next to shot putters, standing next to basketballers, standing next to volleyballers. And it's just amazing to see like the wide array of body shapes, but everyone's at their very, very best. Like all of these guys have gone to the Olympics and it's like, you don't have to look a certain way to be successful. Like at the end of the day, you don't have to look at like a certain way. Like I'm never going to look like a shot putter. A shot putter is never going to look like me but we could both go to the Olympics and do extremely well. Like you don't have to fit that certain like criteria that people put on sports to be successful. Yeah. hundred percent. I do want to talk about Tokyo now. What was that sort of build up like? We'll start with, you know, the lead into trials. What was trials like? And then realizing that you qualified, what was that experience like? Um, trials was crazy. It was like, Oh, I've never been so nervous in my entire life. I think, the, the 400 was first um, and I, I was really hoping to do well in that. You know, I kind of had a slight chance, but, you know, there's in my events, there's like maybe six girls that are all going under the qualifying time. And I think almost the whole final went under the qualifying time. So it's a very like tough event to qualify in. And that was first for me. And the whole day, I think my heart rate was so high. Like I could constantly feel my heart beating in my chest. I could not nap during the day usually I nap during the day I was so panicked I had just like sat on the lounge room and read a book the whole day because that was the only way I could kind of relax um went into that finished third um so I didn't qualify so that was like a bit of a weird experience um the girl who came second is like one of my best friends so like obviously I was super stoked for her that she qualified and I'd sign a PB so I couldn't be like that annoyed but obviously like I'd wanted that second spot too so then to have to go back and kind of be like oh crap like now I have the, the 800 and the 1500 and you know obviously I had good chances in those two but I was like in this really weird headspace like well what if I don't do it like what what happens if I don't do this like everyone's expecting me to do it what happens if I don't and the 1500 came around and I was super super nervous for that too um again I spoke to my coach and I was like almost shaking. I was almost like in tears walking to the marshalling room and the 1500, it was a bit of a blur. And um, it was, it ended up being a race between me and another girl, Moesha, who some a huge PB. I know you've spoken to her on this before and, you know, and that, like that was really hard too, because I just out touched her and then she came third and then she just missed achieving her goal. And it's like, trials is just like this huge mix of like ups and downs and like you could be on the highest high and then you've got people that, are on like the lowest lows in the line next to you. And it's just like, the, they say like that the warm-up pool of trials is like half tears, half chlorine, because there's just so many tears and so many upsets. And then you've got people that are happy. And it's like, it's really hard to balance that because then like we're, we're both walking back to the coach and it's like one of us is over the moon and one of us is like super upset. And it's like, you know, you have to kind of be selfish in that retrospect because we both had the 800 two days later. And so we both had to be kind of selfish and go off and do our own things and not let others' emotions kind of t- like get a hold of you. And then you have the 800 on the next day. And I mean, for me, I'd already qualified in the 15, so the 800 uh, had no pressure on me. And it turned out to be like one of my better races of the meet, I, I think personally. And I summed it exactly how I wanted to. But I think it just goes to show like how much the pressure of an Olympic trials can affect how you race because my 400 and my 1500 I did not race them the way I wanted to like almost nothing went to plan because I was so stressed and focused on the result of going to Tokyo and then once I knew I was going the 800 was just like perfect it was like the easiest 800 I've ever done like it was a PB it was just like floating through the water and I was like (laughs) wow it's amazing what happens when you don't have like this pressure that you put on yourself yeah and I would love to know how you sort of navigate that because as you said, you know, you've got a good friend next to you who's just missed out and you've qualified and it's, you know, what you've sort of dreamed of and planned for so many years, particularly, you know, that it was put off for you. So it's five years in the making. How do you celebrate your win but still be respectful for the fact that they've just missed out? Yeah, like it's super hard and I think, a lot of people struggle with it. Like, I mean, I struggled with it at trials and then I struggled with it again 
at the Olympics, like I had another, like my teammate in the 1500 didn't swim the way that she wanted to. And, you know, it's hard because like you want to go and console them and be there for them and, you know, check in on them and make sure they're okay. But also like I kind of have to be selfish in a degree because I have another race two days later and I can't let their emotions impact how I'm going to race. And, you know, it creates this really weird dynamic. And I think it takes like certain kind of people to be able to navigate that really well. And I think it's something that only like athletes understand. I mean, I'm sure you've had experiences where you've done really well and one of your friends has it. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of a weird mix of emotions. You know, you want to be happy and like they probably want to see you being happy too. They don't want to see you not celebrating what you've done. And it kind of creates this like weird balance between people. And it is something that's super hard to navigate. But I think just letting them know that you're there for them and like if they want someone to talk to, you're there too. But you also have to be selfish and not let their emotions get in the way of how you're feeling. You know, you deserve to celebrate how you went. You know, you can't can't tiptoe around people I guess you know if you've achieved a lifelong dream like you deserve to celebrate that and you deserve to be ecstatic and happy and you can't tiptoe around other people because they didn't do what they wanted to do I think yeah I and I agree and I think you know in sport there's so many ups and downs I think everyone's been on each end of the scale and I think even one time I don't know if this is just immaturity or naive or not having the experience but my friend did really well and I didn't. And when she was trying to console me, I was kind of like angry at her. I'm like, you've done so well. Like, why are you talking to me? Like, I don't want to talk to you. And I was like, really (laughs) getting really annoyed. But like, now that I've been on the other side, you know, you're just trying to help. Like you don't mean, there's no malicious intent there. You're trying to do the right thing and be a friend, but it is really hard trying to be respectful and be there for them without, you know, sort of rubbing it in their face at the same time. Yeah, I think what you said just then, like it, it is like people almost think it's it is malicious when you're congratulating someone who maybe hasn't summed that well, you know. And like it, it happened to me at the Olympics. I went to congratulate other girls, and it just it like almost comes off as like rubbing it in their face. But I, I would I would never want that, and you know I'd never intentionally want it to come across like that. And you know I just wanted to be there for them. And sometimes it gets misconstrued, and it's really unfortunate that it does. But you know, it, it's hard, you know, I think you need to see it from both sides. And a lot of people, you know, they don't necessarily see it from that side. And I think a lot of people who do swim really well act in my way too, you know, you're just looking out for people and you want to care for people and you want to check in on them. And like, it's hard. It, it never comes across as malicious. But if you go to be like, oh my God, well done to your friend who's just swam like 10 seconds over their PB. It's like, like, how do you think they're going to feel? But then like, if you didn't say anything, it's wrong as well. So it just, it becomes this like really awkward balance. And, you know, I think it's something that athletes constantly have to deal with. And I think it's just a, it's, yeah, it's something that you learn going up, you know, you've got to be a, a gracious winner, but you also have to be like gracious in defeat as well. Yeah. hundred percent. So you've done trials, you've qualified for the 15 and 18, the 1500 and the 800. What sort of then the process between trials and Tokyo? What's that leading like? Yeah, so we had planned to spend, I think, maybe two weeks on the Gold Coast. So I was still training at TSS at this point. So we planned to spend maybe two weeks there. And then we were about a week in and we got a call saying, "Um, yeah, there's a few COVID cases. We need to get you to cancel immediately. So we had about four hours to pack our bags and that was it. And we were going. And so it was kind of a big rush. I was in a panic to see like family and all that kind of stuff before I went like I wanted to see my grandparents before I went to Tokyo you know it was all kind of a big panic um but yeah we got shipped up to Cairns and then I think we had four weeks four three three four weeks in Cairns maybe three weeks in Cairns on training camp so you know you had the whole team together and that was really good and that was really special and it was a really good team and the whole team got along and it was nice to be training with 50 other athletes that all have the same goal as you and you know everyone's going to the Olympics and everyone wants to swim fast and you'd have not only like you'd have our session going across like two lanes like Chris would maybe have our guys in two lanes but three lanes over you can see someone doing a really great set and all of a sudden the pool stops and everyone's cheering for them because they're doing something and you know it's just like a really good atmosphere and environment to be a part of and then we went to Tokyo 
as as early as we could. I think it was only maybe four days before competition. It, it wasn't long at all. Um, we didn't have that much time to settle in. We're quite lucky that the time difference isn't anything too crazy. I think it's only about two hours. Um, but yeah, like getting into the village, I think we arrived at like 3 a.m. one morning. Like it was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous and everyone was so exhausted and we're trying to get bags and, you know, you've got to get like your COVID testing tubes and you've got to find out who your room is. And it was just like a big mess and everyone was so tired. And I think we just like came down, fought each other for like the shower after you get off the plane, <laughs> like everyone jumped in the shower and then it was like crashed and went to bed. Um, and that was our first day in the village. But yeah, the village experience is like no other. Um, I'm pretty fortunate that I've had like kind of village experiences in terms of like com games and like world university games. So I kind of knew what to expect, but it's like, it's like a very cool like mayhem kind of thing you know you've got people from all different sports and like the dining hall is absolutely massive and the Aussies have this like perfect little setup downstairs and it's just it's just a really cool environment to have not only the swimmers but like all the Aussie athletes together it yeah it was just yeah it was a really fun environment yeah what was it like in Tokyo in terms of like obviously you sort of touched on the village experience was pretty great and something that wasn't too unfamiliar what was then the swimming aspect of it like what was your racing like um yeah so um the the pool like the Tokyo pool was great it was just done up for the Olympics it was a brand new pool um we we're very fortunate to have that um obviously we had no crowds which was kind of different um, I've been asked a few times what it was like with no crowds and if I think it made a difference to how I swam and honestly you can't really hear it when you've got your head in the pool for 800 1500 meters um, and you, you don't notice it when you're walking out behind the blocks like I was so nervous anyway all I could think about was getting out behind the right lane and taking off my uniform and taking off my mask because like we obviously had to wear masks out behind the blocks which is something new so you know there was a lot of other distractions going on and we were fortunate enough that like whoever wasn't racing out of the Aussies was in the stands cheering everyone on. So it was actually a really good atmosphere. And, you know, the girls kicked us off on the very first day, breaking the world record and winning gold in the 4 by 100 um, freestyle relay. And I think Brendan Smith might've been on the first day too with his bronze in the 400 AM. He was maybe first or second day. So it really just set the tone for the whole Aussie team. And, you know, all the swimmers were just getting behind everyone's back. And I don't think anyone walked away from that feeling like they didn't have a team of people behind them, which I think was the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. And I saw an article somewhere that you sort of said about how, you know, you train, you know, four years and in this case, five years for, you know, one, two races, whatever that sort of looks like for your, you know, event schedule. And there's sort of a bit of luck in the sense that, you know, how, what are the chances of you being in your absolute prime of your career on this exact day and getting that race and swimming it perfectly because you know it's your first olympics and there's all this pressure and nerves and you know now you've got a covid element in there too what was that sort of experience like for you then and how do you think reflecting back how you performed yeah um you're right like i i do think that there is like this like tiny element of luck you know you've got to be at the peak of your career and you know everyone peaks at different stages and someone might be swimming great two years prior to the Olympics and then, you know, that's their best year. And it, it is hard. And, you know, there's obviously ways that we can control that. Like you've got your training and all that kind of stuff. And if you're doing absolutely everything right, then, you know, the aim is to be at your very, very best during the Olympics. It, it doesn't happen to everyone, but that's what it is. Like that's what we want and that's the sport that we're in. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, you know, you look at someone like Ariane and how she handled it, you know, she had a lot of pressure going into that and, she handled it extremely, extremely well and, you know, was able to perform at her very best and probably exceed some of her expectations in the 200 and the 800. So, you know, like it obviously can be done and the, like to go there for your first Olympics and like her and Kaylee and Brendan to step up and perform the way they did is just incredible. Like to swim that well in your very first Olympics and under all that kind of pressure, it's like full credit to them. Um, for me, I think I was more nervous at the trials than I was at the Olympics, to be honest. I think I had more pressure on myself to get on the team. And then once I was on the team, I felt a lot more relaxed, which I think it worked in my favour. But there's this, the turnaround between trials and the Olympics is five weeks. And I think that's very hard for a distance to, to 
fully taper for trials because I have to be on my very, very best to qualify, right? So my events that I do are super competitive. There's so many girls that are going under qualifying times. There's so many girls that are close together. I have to be on my very, very best for trials. And then to get the caves back up and then also rest again within a five-week period, it's like a very awkward time for a distance swimmer, I think. I think sprinters, you know, they they settle into less Ks and they um, have more chance of recovery and they kind of just keep an extended taper and then they're ready to go again. Whereas as a distance swimmer, traditionally you need to like kind of get some more work in before you rest again or you're just going to fall in this big hole and, you know, you're going to lose some of that aerobic element that is your biggest strength. So that that time period was really difficult for me. Um, there was lots of like a few weeks in cancer. I was just doing like absolute crap. And like, obviously your headspace isn't great when you're something like crap and the Olympics are three weeks away. So that was kind of hard to deal with. Um, but yeah, so that five week turnaround does make a big difference. And like, I mean, I'll be honest, like I wasn't happy with how I performed at the Olympics. Um, my 1500, I, I wasn't really training for it. Um, I kind of went in there with no expectations. I was surprised that I'd even qualified in the 1500. I really didn't think that that was my event. Um, so that was kind of nice to get in and swim. And all I wanted to do was make the final. And I was fortunate enough to make the final. So I kind of feel like I had my goal ticked. And so I'm in the final and finished six. And like, obviously, like six in the world, like I can't complain. Like it would kind of sound ridiculous for me to complain about that. But at the time I was disappointed. Um, and then the 800, you know, we had heats, heats at night. Um, so that made getting into the final super difficult. So I had to swim pretty much almost on my PB to make the final, um, just snuck in in an outside lane. Um, but I knew that if I was on my best, like I could be right there with them. Like I wasn't out of touch in the 800 and I knew that if I swam at my very, very best, like I could be right there. And, you know, if I'm there, then I have a chance and I can be competitive over that last 100 metres. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I dived in and I felt okay. And then all of a sudden everyone's gone in front of me and your head starts playing these little games with you and, like I was, I was, I was super disappointed. And again, I came six in that. And I know it sounds silly to say, you know, being six at the Olympics is disappointing, but it was. And I remember getting out of the pool and like Arnie had just swum so well. She was second behind Katie and we were kind of walking over to channel seven and he was like, oh, Katie, do you want to chat? And I was kind of like, no, you can just talk to Arnie. It's fine. Like no one wants to hear what I have to say. Like I was just six. Like I'm just like in the background, like no one really cares. I'm just going to walk walk out and then I kind of came around and saw my coach and I just burst into tears and like it, it just it sounds so silly saying it back now but like crying over a sixth place at the Olympics but I was I was in tears and I just took off my I remember taking off my suit it was my last race I was like I'm not warming down there's no way I'm getting in the pool and I knew that I had to be back up in the stands to cheer for the other guys and so I kind of went to the bathroom for a bit and I like was bawling my eyes out and you've probably seen that I've posted the photo of me on Instagram when I was like in the toilet crying and I had all these red puffy eyes and I was like Kia come on put yourself together like get up get up into the stands and like come on you need to cheer on the rest of people there's like five more races tonight we've got people swimming like come on put yourself together and I went up into the stands and there's a few people there Tamsin being one of them um, one of the girl who's swam in the 400 you know one of my closest friends and she kind of just like put her arm around my shoulder and was like, I'm proud of you. And I just like burst into tears again. But it was just so nice to have like that kind of atmosphere and have people there that like, regardless of how you swim, they still love you and they still support you. And I think I could have finished dead last in that race and she would have said the exact same thing to me. So I think it's just nice to have that. But yeah, it was weird kind of dealing with that disappointment of like actually swimming really well and like, it's a, an amazing achievement, but it still felt like disappointment to me. Yeah. And obviously like the race goes quickly, but at the same time, when you're in it, it feels like a really long time. And that's a long time to be in your head on your own with no yeah. one else's input. It, it can be quite full on. What was that sort of inner monologue like for you during that race? Yeah. Um, I mean, I won't talk about the ones at the Olympics, but I have a good example of me from trials in the 1500. I think if if someone had had like a little microphone and could listen to what I was saying, they would be laughing themselves silly during like 1500 <laughs> at trials because, you know, I dived in and at that stage, me, Maddie and Mo were all training together. Like we're all training buddies, you know, there's three of us and 
there was us three and another girl, Karina, who were probably like, you know, it was out of us four, we were probably going to be the ones that two would be selected. And I was kind of like, okay, come on, Kia, you can do this. You know, you just relax, take it out easy, first 500. And I turned at 500 and I think I was like fourth. And I was like, well, shit. I was like, this, that's it, it's gone. There's a K left of the race. And I was like, that's it, it's gone. You haven't done the work for it. You're like, you're never going to make it. Like, and I'm swimming up and down and, you know, I can see Mo's feet getting like further and further in front of me and Karina's taking off like three lanes away. And I was like, well, that's it. Like, good, good luck in the 800, but the 1500, like that's, that's not your chance. And then maybe 200 metres of me being a little negative Nancy, I was like, hang on, Kia, you have 800 metres left. Pull yourself together and get in there and bloody swim. Like, you know how to swim in 1500, just get in there and race. Like, I don't care. If you get to the wall and you have to get out and an ambulance has to drive you away from this pool, like you're, you're giving everything. You're not throwing away five years worth of training because you're being negative. Like you've trained for this for five years. Like grow up, pull yourself together and get back in the race. And so it, I think it was just funny for me, like looking back on that and like listening to my self-talk and, you know, Mo and I caught Karina and then it was between the three of us and, you know, we know how that played out. But it was just funny listening to how much I'd like doubted myself, but then also how quickly I could change it around. And like this very competitive side of me came out, which I'm, I'm super thankful that I have this competitive side, but yeah, it was just funny how quickly that came out. And I guess how easy it is to fall in that trap of self-talk if things aren't necessarily going your way. Um, it's a reason why I love the 1500 and I hate the 1500 because it is a long time in your head and you have so much to think about. And it can be very easy to slip into that, negativity if you're not where you think you are but again the 1500 it gives you so much time to fix things so yeah yeah it's it's tough physically but it's tough mentally and I think some people particularly if they're not in swimming they don't realize how much time in your head and how like mentally draining a race like that can be yeah and I think like for distance swimmers as well like the training is so mentally draining as well you know you're in that situation day after day and you're constantly comparing yourself to what other people are doing next to you in the pool. And, you know, you've got to fight those mental battles every single day. And I know you spoke to Kai Edwards a little bit on this, his 10K swimmer, and I've had trained with him for about seven years. Um, and I think like what he said is so spot on. It's just, it becomes this big mental battle. I think distance swimming is more mental than physical. Um, sprinting probably more physical than mental. Um, you know they've got to be these strong and they're super quick and super fast twitch and they've got to get every little physical thing right but I think some of the best distance swimmers are the ones who are mentally the toughest yeah 100% what would you say then like obviously you know being a distance swimmer it's quite mentally tough what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges or setbacks you've had to overcome um the biggest thing for me was well there's kind of two I guess um Leading into the Commonwealth Games in 2018, again, a lot of pressure. The Commonwealth Games are on the Gold Coast. I've lived my whole life on the Gold Coast. You know, there was a lot of pressure surrounding that. And I went there the first night and I missed the 400 free final. And I think I was ranked third and I didn't even make the final. And I was like, well, yeah, again, this is it. It's all over. And I had the 800 the next day and my coach kind of told me to like, go away from the pool and, you know, sort yourself out. Like, don't come back and train, just go away. And I I went away and I did the whole like coloring in and reading and like completely switched off from swimming and um, just realized again that like no matter how I swim there's still people that love me there's still people that support me and at the end of the day like really I have nothing to lose and I know in this moment it seems like going to the com games or going to the olympics is this like big deal and end all and if you don't achieve it like then you're like scum of the earth or like whatever you tell yourself in your head. Mm. But, like, at the end of the day, like, in the big picture, like, no one, like, really cares that much. And I think that was something that, like, a lot of us kind of learned coming back from the Olympics. Like, you come back from the Olympics and you're on this big high and you expect everyone to care so much and you get back into the real world and it's like, to be honest, no one really does. Like, yeah, it's a great achievement and, like, we should celebrate it and it's something that very few people get to do. But you also have to remember that it's not the end of the world if you don't do it and people aren't going to think of you differently if you don't. Um Another thing for me mentally that I've really had to overcome is the like comparing myself to other people. I used to really get caught up in it, especially when there was like the three of us at, at TSS training together. Um, and it was just like every single day it was competitive. There wasn't a day where you couldn't be switched on or you weren't 
facing either one of the two girls. And I think that that was really tough, you know. Um, I train a lot differently to them and they train a lot differently to me. And, you know, I think probably all of us just got caught in this like very competitive headspace and it became more of a negative environment than a positive environment towards the end. And I think you need to be like really cautious. Obviously, you know, I love having people to train with and I love having people to race, but there needs to be also like a level of support that comes from everyone. You know, you, you want to have everyone achieve their goals too. And if you're working together to both achieve your goals, like it's going to end up in a positive outcome rather than constantly comparing yourself and being like, well, if she's doing this, then why aren't I doing that? And she's swimming fast, why am I not swimming fast? And it just kind of puts you in this like real negative headspace and then you don't want to go to the pool every day. Yeah. And it can be quite tricky because, you know, you sort of have to be competitive and race each other and push yourself. But yeah, it can be really hard to find that balance of not letting that turn into a negative. Yeah, it's it's hard um, to, to find that balance of it being competitive in the pool, but like friends away from the pool. And I think there's like very few people that pull it off super, super successfully. You know, there's always going to be those moments between people and I think that's just how it is at the end of the day um you know you can do everything you can to try to keep it as a positive environment but when you're putting elite athletes together in a competitive environment for years on end constantly racing each other it's very easy for it to slip into a negative yeah for sure on the flip side of that then what would you say has been one of your biggest achievements so far um like as much as I say like that whole com games thing was like super hard for me to overcome I think it was also one of my biggest achievements because it was almost like a light bulb moment for me that like I just took like a lot of that pressure off my shoulders and I was like well like it was yeah it was almost like this light bulb moment that people don't really care how I perform and you know I'm I'm free to swim how I want and I can just get in and I have nothing to lose and I think that kind of changed the way that I race um 2020 nationals on the Gold Coast I got in for the 400 free and I just said screw it I'm going to go out as fast as I can and whatever happens happens and I did this spectacular display of sticking with Arnie for 150 meters and then getting absolutely swallowed by everyone else <laughs> in the last last 100 meters and I was going backwards and my mom was watching it was like I thought we were going to have to send someone in to like fish you out of the pool and I've never been in so much pain in my whole entire life but <laughs> I, I had nothing to lose like you know if I I get in and I give it a shot and I do something different and I swim bad like at the end of the day like does it really matter probably not like who cares that I swam PB plus 10 or whatever it was who cares that my first 200 was nine seconds faster than my second 200 like you know you've just got to get in and and do those kinds of things and realize that you do have nothing to lose and I think swimming like that builds character and it's important to do that and it's important to realize that like and I I know I make a joke of it and I'm like oh I was just putting on a show you know I was just like giving something people like giving people something to laugh at you know and like making light of those situations yeah for sure I'd love to ask you a question that I've recently started asking people and I think it's really interesting to hear the answers if younger Kia could see where you are now how do you think she would react um, I think she'd be shocked probably. I don't think I don't think she ever thought she'd be going to the Olympics and I don't think she ever thought she would be as successful in swimming as she is. Um I, I think I'd like to think she'd be proud of her. I think um watching her like if she younger me was watching me over the past three months, I think she'd just want to give her a hug. Um it's been difficult moving, like I've had to move clubs and move from the Gold Coast to Brisbane and I've lost a lot of friends in the past six months and like it's just been like a very difficult six months for me so I think maybe little Kia would come and give big Kia a hug but I think at the end of the day she'd be proud of where I am. Yeah for sure and that sort of follows on into my next lot of questions and the first one is what is something that you're most proud of about yourself? Um, I mean I like to think that I'm a very caring and giving person and I, I like to put my best foot forward in terms of my friends and I like to make sure that they're achieving what they want to achieve and I like to think that I'm a good shoulder to lean on and you know I like to think that I have that caring and you know almost like the the mum friend personality of the group yeah absolutely something you should be proud of and I love asking that question because it's so rarely about sport 
yeah well yeah I think that's the thing it's it's important to have things in your life that you're proud of that isn't sport because sport doesn't define who you are you know there's so many other things that you are besides an athlete 100% what is your favorite quote and or the best piece of advice that you've been given um there's one that like really like sticks with me and it's a bit of a silly one because I feel like it's super old but like when the going gets tough the tough get going um you know you've probably all heard that one before but I think that really resonates with me and um my former coach Chris used to always say that consistency is a hallmark of class um I think that's another super important one you know you can come in and do one great set that's great but can you do a great set every single day for six weeks then that's consistency and then you're becoming like a class athlete um so yeah those are the two that have really stuck with me yeah they're really good ones I've heard that first one before but that other one I haven't heard that before I like it it's good yeah that's that's, that's a good one that's a little Chris Nesbitt piece of advice yeah it's good the last question is any tips or advice or anything else that you would like to add I mean, I, I know that I have like a good relationship with a lot of young female swimmers and there's a lot of young female swimmers that follow me on Instagram and, you know, they message me um, ask, asking me like little questions or little questions and just want to say like if, if any of you guys are listening, like feel free to message you and like message me and like we'll have a chat about anything, you know, whether it's swimming, it's life, whatever. I'm, I'm always here to have a chat with you guys and I think for you guys, especially those ones around that like 15, 16 age group, I think the most important thing for you is to just have fun and enjoy what you're doing and don't put so much pressure on yourself. And I know it's hard. Um, I know you're sitting there looking at other girls that are maybe winning nationals and, you know, they've gone to school nationals and they've won seven gold medals. And it's like, well, I can't even qualify for nationals. Why am I not improving? But just remind yourself that I didn't even qualify for nationals until I was 16. I made the senior team when I was 21, which is late in terms of most people, you know. I don't think there's any super linear pathway for anyone, you know, if you keep putting in the work. And like I said before, consistency is the most important thing. If you're putting in the work, you will get results. So just being consistent with those kinds of things. But my Instagram DMs are always open if anyone wants to chat. Yeah, awesome. I love that. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate chatting with you. And I think you've shared so many valuable lessons and insights into what swimming has been like for you. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perfectly Flawed Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, family, and on social media. And don't forget to tag the podcast in your post. It really helps me out a lot. If you like the podcast, please go give it a follow, rate, and review. If you haven't checked out the current merch, you definitely should and go get your hands on it as soon as you can. Thank you so much for supporting me and I can't wait to be back in your ears in the next episode. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.